Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This is the August edition of our Can You Dig It episodes. We have a couple of food-related articles and a couple gardening questions from listeners and folks in the Facebook group. If you haven't joined the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group yet, then jump on in there. Answer a couple of questions so we can make sure you're not a bot of some sort, and you'll be joining like-minded gardeners from all over to share ideas and ask questions. You can also share interesting food stories like the ones on today's show by using the hashtag CanYouDigIt when you share in the group. So join us. So the first story on today's edition comes out of Sacramento, California. I actually listened to an episode of the Farm to Table Talk podcast that featured this topic, and the article I'm referencing is from the Sacramento Bee. I'll link both the podcast and the article in the show notes. They both refer to a mobile farmer's market that's offering fresh produce for Sacramento area's low-income residents. So the way this started is the California Department Department of Food and Agriculture started a grant program intended to get refrigerated coolers into small corner stores in urban areas with the idea that these corner stores would then carry fresh produce for their local residents. Sarah Bernal, who is the program manager for the West Sacramento Urban Farm Program, contacted the CDFA and basically said, hey, I know it's not what the grants were specifically intended for, but what about a mobile farmer's market truck? The CDFA thought it was a great idea, and they awarded her an $87,000 grant that she used to buy a truck manufactured from a Canadian manufacturer that specializes in these refrigerated trucks. It's the size of a moving truck, and the side flips up to shade the customers, and then it offers this array of produce in crates while the reefer section in the back keeps all the produce cold before it goes out on display. And this was only supposed to take six months to get going, but COVID hit, and that turned that six months into two years, which is really unfortunate because that's the time when people really could have used this. But the truck is rocking and rolling now and headed to low-income housing and senior living areas that have been deprived of fresh produce for so long. And... Residents are also able to get free, non-perishable pantry items that Sarah Bernal and her team purchase from Woodland's YOLO Food Bank at 19 cents a pound. And then they offer those non-perishable items right alongside the produce items. And then residents can also use their EBT and STAP benefits at a rate of two to one, up to $40. So basically they can get $40 worth of fresh produce and only $20 comes off of their EBD card. And if you're not in the U.S. and you don't know what EBT or SNAP is, it's basically the idea of food stamps. It's our food assistance program, only it's on a debit card. 
If you get a chance to read the article or listen to the podcast episode, I highly encourage it. There's so much to the backstory, and it's a really important topic around what are considered food-deprived areas, fresh food-deprived areas. My husband and I have seen firsthand how hard it can be, particularly for seniors in affordable housing complexes, to get to the market to get fresh produce. We have a program here in Missouri called the Senior Farmers Market Nutrition Program, and it gives $50 in $5 vouchers to qualifying low-income seniors to use for fresh produce and honey at markets with vendors who are signed up for the program. This is only the third year for that program. The problem that we were seeing, especially during the pandemic, was that seniors couldn't get to the markets or the markets were closed or they had to pay somebody to get them to a market and then they didn't know whether there would be a vendor there who would take those vouchers. So we partnered with a few senior housing complexes in the area and now we go to each one once per month so that they get a chance to shop. We set up our stand just for them. We give them much lower pricing than what we normally would at the far farmer's market stands. Um, basically, it just covers our costs, but they get to feel independent using their vouchers to shop for fresh local produce. Their faces just light up as they walk away with a bag of tomatoes and peaches and zucchini, and they know we'll be back the following month. Not having enough to eat is bad enough. But then being given assistance to help you get what you need and still not having a way to get it is just a kick in the gut as far as I'm concerned. So I'm hopeful that this pilot program in Sac Sacramento can be duplicated in other areas of the country because it's definitely something that's needed. So our second story is a little lighter, and this one deals with yet another viral TikTok trend, frozen honey. Now, according to the article on foodandwine.com, because I have not seen this trend yet on TikTok, but then again, I try to stay off TikTok because it is a total time suck. <laughs> uh, the first person to post about this trick was a TikTok user um, at DavyRZ, who put a small frozen water bottle of honey in a bowl outside and said, hey, let's see if we can attract some bees. And then after saying that the bottle looked way too frozen, he banged it on a table and then began squeezing the thick frozen honey out of it. Once a big old glob surfaced, he took a huge bite. And now all kinds of users are sharing videos of themselves enjoying these frozen honey snacks. Now, of course, fun fact, honey doesn't actually freeze. Uh, it does, however, develop into a thick, sticky, gummy sort of substance that can be really really hard on your teeth. And let's not even think about the amount of sugar people are consuming when they're consuming water bottles full of honey in small chunks throughout the day, not to mention the empty calories. Now, the biggest concern is actually from dentists, not because the honey might rot your teeth, but because you could chip a tooth on the almost frozen treat. Uh, Mark Wolf is the dean of the University of Pennsylvania School of Dental Medicine, and he said it can be, quote, brutal <laughs> on your teeth, but he's not overly concerned about the possibility of tooth decay. He says there are some components inside honey that may actually reduce tooth decay. It does not cause as much of a change in the pH as far as dissolving teeth, but that doesn't mean that it can't impact your teeth. 
It's just not as aggressive as something like table sugar. So, yo, TikTok people, slow your honey roll. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now for your gardening questions. The first question comes from Kathy, and she said, what's wrong with my cucumbers? Yeah, that can be a little vague, but she did send a picture, so it was actually just a very straightforward question. And the cucumber in question had a shriveled, curled tip at the blossom end of the fruit. Many of you have probably experienced this, and it is due to improper pollination. And it's not just the blossom end that can be affected. Those weird misshapen cucumbers with the bulbous ends and the skinny middles or the really fat tops and then almost nothing to them, pollination. Fruit that starts to form but then turns yellow and drops off the vine, pollination. Lots of flowers but no fruit at all, yep, all related to pollination. And to be honest, Cucumbers aren't a favorite of pollinators if you have a pretty varied garden, which most of us do. So they're not going to get as much attention as the other flowering plants. The flowers are a little small on some varieties, and there can be loads of them and not enough pollinators to go around. And it takes multiple visits from bees and other pollinators to get a good fruit set and properly form a cucumber. Now, if you don't care what the cucumber looks like, because honestly, it all tastes the same, and you're getting enough fruit for your needs, well, then no big deal. But if you're not getting enough fruit to set, or you'd like them to be a bit less wonky, there are a few things to try. First of all, try isolating your cucumbers away from the rest of the garden and planting just a few flowering plants that may draw in the pollinators. Borage, nasturtium, marigolds, Rosemary, oregano, and basil are all really good for this. We use mainly marigolds, nasturtium, and basil. And since it's mainly bumblebees and honeybees that pollinate cucumbers, allow those bees some shelter in the garden. That's a good way to get the, bun uh, the bumblebees to stick around for a while. If the landscape isn't super hospitable, they'll basically just move on after only a few hours in your garden. But if you leave like an old birdhouse or a bird's nest laying around or even look up bumblebee habitat or house online and create something similar, then you may have some luck. Also provide some water for them. A shallow dish of water surrounded by a few rocks is enough, um, but freshen the water each day and it'll be a more hospitable environment for your bees to stick around. Now the other option is to hand pollinate. And this can be a bit time consuming, I'll warn you. But if you're desperate for a mature crop of cucumbers, then this may be the way to go. First, you need to determine the difference between male and female flowers. Now, with the exception of specialized commercial varieties, cucumbers are monaceous, meaning both types of flowers, male and female, grow on the same plant. So male flowers on cucumbers have these shorter, stocky stems, and they grow in clusters of three to five flowers, while the female flower blooms only one per stalk. 
the female flower contains a small ovary in the center and a small bulb at the base of the stem. That's the fruit. The male flowers have the anther and the filament at their center and no bulb at the base of the stem. Now, when hand-pollinating cucumbers, it's important to only use fresh male flowers. Male cucumber flowers are basically one and done. The flowers open in the morning and the pollen is only good for that day. So the easiest way to do this is to pick the male flower by the stem and remove or pull back the petals, exposing the anther with the pollen. And then just touch the center of the, ma the male flower, the anther, to the center of the female flower, the stigma. Just rub them together to transfer the pollen. Now you can actually do this with a paintbrush by touching the center of the male flower with the paintbrush first to pick up the pollen and then transferring to the female flower by simply painting it on. The pollen can be sticky, so be persistent. But the paintbrush method may be a little bit less tedious than dealing with the tiny male cucumber flower. So try both ways and see what works for you. Do this multiple times with the cluster of male flowers to be sure you've gotten proper pollination and then move on. Find another cluster and another female flower and do it again. This method of pollination is also useful for zucchini and summer squash plants and any of your melons too. They all pollinate the same way. So if you've got a lack of pollinators, become the pollinator. I hope that helps, Kathy. The next question was from Caitlin over in the Facebook group, and she posted a picture of her broccoli and just said, help. <laughs> Basically, the leaves of her broccoli were skeletonized, meaning nothing remained of the fleshy intravenal parts of the leaves, just the stalks and the veins. Several other experienced gardeners responded, and we all had the same resounding, disappointing response cabbage worms, or more accurately, cabbage loopers. This little green worm loves anything in the brassica family, but it seems to be especially attracted in our gardens to the broccoli and the kale, but they will readily feed on any cruciferous vegetable. They can also damage a whole host of other crops, beets, cantaloupe, celery, lettuce, peppers, potatoes, squash, tomatoes, and even your flowering plants, chrysanthemums, hollyhocks, snapdragons. These things are highly dispersed throughout North America, and they can complete multiple generations in a season, depending on how warm your climate is. Now, Caitlin's in Canada, and they have two or three cycles up there versus California, where they may have as many as seven generations in one season. Basically, they will have one generation per month in very favorable growing conditions. They are prolific little buggers. Now, they are leaf feeders, and it's likely that they are there before you even realize it, because the youngest version of them, they start feeding on the lower leaf surface, and then they move to the upper leaf surface as they get bigger. Now, in cabbages, they may actually bore into the head of the cabbage, and you'll have no idea that the cabbage is infested until you cut it open, which is really ew. The good news is everybody in the group had some sort of tactic to prevent this damage to your crops. Bev suggested she hand picks. Elise says she uses BT, which is that Bacillus thuringiensis that I mentioned uh, during the last episode. And Brandy suggested row covers. The tactics I use are twofold. Like Brandy, I start with row covers. 
Um, I cover all of our brassicas with row cover immediately after planting. And it's important for those row covers to be tight against the ground because the cabbage looper moth will bounce along the fabric until it finds a way in. Now, looper moths are gray, but there is also a cabbage butterfly, which is white or often sort of reflects a light blue. It's a totally different pest, but it has the same result with their larvae. So this, the row covers keep them out also. Use the lightest row cover that you can find. That's the best. So it doesn't trap in unnecessary heat. So the row covers are our first line of defense and it usually is our best line of defense. I just pull back the cover and then harvest what I need and then cover them back up again. Now the second thing that we do is trap cropping. Now you may have to play around a little bit about what attracts them more so than the cash crop or the crop that you want to keep. Um, in our area, we find that these guys really like dinosaur kale or lacinato kale and that they also like nasturtium. So I plant a row of mixed kale and nasturtium away from our cash crops. So we'll have the rows of the broccoli and the cauliflower and the kale and the cabbage and the Brussels sprouts and the, uh, the collard greens all in their beds and they've all got their row covers on them. And then I will plant a bed of nothing but the lacinato kale and nasturtium. And this will be several beds away from the cash crop and I will leave those uncovered. So now the cabbage looper moth and the cabbage butterfly are all attracted to those plants. And so in order to not allow them to continue their life cycle, I will either dust those plants thoroughly with first Saturday lime after I see them starting to be attracted, um, or you could also use a diatomaceous earth if that's something that you want to use. Um, or I can actually just pull the whole plant and toss them in the chicken yards <laughs> and the chickens will go to town and eat all those little wormies up. Either way, I have disrupted the reproduction cycle and have reduced the volume of those pests in the garden. And so by the time we go to plant our fall crop, there are fewer of those moths around, which means we'll have fewer of the worms. But I still cover our fall crops as well, and I will also plant another trap crop for that very reason. I just do not want to take the chance because they will decimate an entire plant very, very quickly. The good news is that if you had problems with these guys during your cooler weather or your earlier spring, you can still replant them for fall now. Just make sure that you get some row covers. So that's it for this Can You Dig It episode. Short, sweet, and to the point this week. Um, it's 10.30 at night while I'm recording this for um, tomorrow morning's <laughs> edition. So I'm going to get off fairly quickly here. If you have a gardening question I can answer, send me an email or use the link in the show notes to leave me a voice message or jump into the Facebook group. We would love to have you. So have a great weekend in the garden, friends, and I will talk to you again next week. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. 
Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon.